welcome to season one, episode two of the Front Porch Book Club. The Front Porch Book Club is a podcast that meets twice a month. And we like to dig deep into the relationship between characters and the worlds they live in. Grab your book and iced tea and join us on the front porch. Today, we interview Sarah Crawford about lessons from better people. She is a Syracuse University Remembrance Scholar, and she spent the summer in Europe between her junior and senior year with two goals in mind. First, to forget a broken relationship and spend her internship at a fancy Brussels PR firm. And secondly, to visit Lockerbie, Scotland, where 30 years ago, Syracuse University students just like her were killed in the bombing of Pam Am Flight 103. Her fictionalized account and personal narrative blend humor, pathos, and expert characterization in an unforgettable story. What I think listeners will be interested in is Sarah's experiences in Europe as an intern and the transparency and authenticity in her experiences abroad, both as the intern and also when she visits Lockerty and meets the people there. So Sarah Crawford is a 2020 graduate of Syracuse University, where she studied public relations and writing and rhetoric. She grew up in York, Pennsylvania, and... She's our niece. I know, isn't it great? Okay, it's well, excellent. let's get started. All right. Today, we are interviewing Sarah Crawford, author of Lessons from Better People. Sarah is our niece. And Yay! Just graduated from Syracuse University. Lessons from Better People was her undergraduate thesis and is based on her experience in Europe between her junior and senior year. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. Thank you for having me, my wonderful aunts. <laughs> Well, we're so happy you could join us today, Sarah. We really loved your thesis. And even though we just love talking to you at any time we possibly can, we really were anxious to talk to you about the thesis and the experiences that you had in Europe. So listeners who are interested in reading Lessons from Better People can find your thesis at, okay, deep breath, <laughs> long, <laughs> long URL, https colon slash slash honors dot syr dot edu slash showcase slash thesis slash Sarah with an H hyphen Crawford slash and we'll also put that link <laughs> on our website and on the episode page so it's easy for people yeah, to that find. link is a very accessible verbally yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> no one thought to do one of those easy links for that one nope. it's it's more of a scavenger hunt that way i'm increasing the podcast views for people who have to rewind and, and go listen to that again that's right and if i had one letter wrong it's all over yeah just error, error messages all the way <laughs> oh no so yeah definitely go to the website page <laughs> Sarah what led you to writing your book well that's a tough question because the process to get to the final product that you guys got to read was a very long one I obviously always knew that I wanted to write a book someday and I still want to keep writing books but for my senior year, I knew that I had to do some type of final project 
that encompassed everything that I had been studying in my majors over the past four years. And I really didn't know how to do that when I had a major in public relations, a major in writing and rhetoric studies, and then a minor in European history, which kind of felt like it was all over the place. (laughs) And I knew that I had to have a completely separate thesis for my public relations major. But through the Honors College at Syracuse, I was allowed to work with the writing department to create one kind of cohesive project. So with my advisor's help in the writing department there, I was able to get a grant. And that was thanks to the Honors College and go abroad and basically study what is it about human experience that when tragedy happens and when things go like unexpectedly, what makes us be resilient and and still find happiness and love even through those tough circumstances. Yeah, as a member of the Syracuse Remembrance Scholarship of the Lockerbie plane crash, you had some unique experiences with that on campus. In December of 1988, there were 35 Syracuse University students who were returning home from a semester abroad in London And they boarded Pan Am Flight 103, which is infamous today for a terrible terrorist attack in which there was a bomb planted on board and exploded, killing all passengers on board, including those 35 Syracuse students. But when the bomb exploded, the plane was actually over a small town in Scotland named Lockerbie, and it killed residents in the town as well. So... After this event happened, which was incredibly tragic, first of all, but it was also one of the largest terrorist attacks through air travel that had been experienced at that time. So all of a sudden we have a community in the United States that's affected at Syracuse University. And we have this small town in Scotland that's been affected, including also the other numerous nationalities from other people that were on board that flight. And basically, Syracuse University was grieving and and had a huge traumatic problem on campus because people had been teaching these students. They were roommates. They were friends. They were were people's sons and daughters. It was terrible. But Syracuse decided to do something beautiful, which has existed for about 33 years now. They decided that they wanted to remember those 35 students they lost. They decided to create the Remembrance Program, and this started a year after. The The thing they wanted to do was not remember the students for the tragedy that took them away so early in their lives, but remember the students for who they were as individuals. And I think that is one of the most beautiful parts of the Remembrance Program because all of a sudden we're not just focusing on the sadness and, oh my gosh, isn't that so terrible that those students... Were, were taken away and that's all they're remembered by. Instead, through this program and through the educational events and the memorials and the things the program has done through Remembrance Scholars, is we take a look at those 35 students and all of a sudden they're individuals and they each have their own story and they each have their own personalities that are still alive and still with us even today. You got to represent one of those 35 students. How did you take that experience and then transform that into your book? Yeah. So through the Remembrance Scholarship Program, so every every year there's a new cohort of scholars that represents the 35 students who were killed in the, in the terrorist attack. 
It's a lengthy application process, but you do it your junior year. You find out by the end if you've been accepted into the scholarship program. And then when you come back in the fall, you begin your official year-long term as a Remembrance Scholar on campus, where you represent one of the students, you learn about their life, you basically educate community members about modern day terrorism, as well as your like the life of your student, trying to keep their memory alive. And then you also participate in the week-long celebration of life and remembrance called Remembrance Week. And traditionally, that has taken place in October, unfortunately, due to the COVID that had to get a little bit rearranged this year. But I know that this year's cohort is doing amazing things, trying to keep things, you know, alive and and community-based, even in the middle of a pandemic, which I think is so admirable and so great. But when I was applying for the program, back to your question, (laughs) um, when I was applying to the program, I knew I had wanted to be a Remembrance Scholar since the first time I toured Syracuse University's campus. And I was reading through this book called On Eagle's Wings. And On Eagle's Wings came out in memoriam for every single life that was lost in the Pan Am bombing and basically has photos and a dedication page for each of those person's lives. And I was reading through each page, you know, looking at each of the students that were connected to Syracuse. And as I was going through, I'm like, wow, I have a lot in common with these people that, you know, even though this was 30 years ago, like, I I could see us being friends. And then I turned the page and I got to the name Richard Palmanetti. His nickname is also Rick. And the first thing I noticed was that we had the same birthday. Oh, wow. I was like, no way. This guy was born on the same day as me. That's so cool. And then I start reading his profile and it said that he loved to write and he was really passionate about journalism. He was really known to be like a really great friend, really humorous. And he had this thing called the philosophies of life that he wrote. And A little excerpt was included on his page, but it was basically saying, like, life is a one-time deal, make the most of every day, like, really just a positive and, like, strong sentiment. And when he wrote this, I believe he was only about, I think he was either 19 or 20. So very (laughs) profound words and thoughts that he had written down on his philosophies of life. And I just instantly felt a connection. I'm like, wow, this this is incredible. I, I really want to know more about him. So I went to the university archives and pulled some of his old journals from from the archives there because Syracuse also does a great job of of keeping a lot of information about the students on file over the years so you can get to learn learn more about them. So I went and looked at some of his old writings and the more I learned about him the more of a connection I felt. So Basically, and I hadn't even been accepted to the program at this point. <laughs> so I was just, you know, out there re- researching about him because I wanted to know more and I found his writing so interesting. And I remember right before I went for my second round of the application process, which was an interview, I was reading one of his works and it was just literally a journal entry. It was on a photocopy page I was looking at in the library. And he had just finished writing about one of his weekends out with his friends and he had scribbled. It was no more than like a line on this, on this notebook paper, but he said, I don't even know why I'm writing this. Who's going to care in 30 years? Uh, I looked at that and I just felt like my mouth drop open because 
it had been about 30 years later and here I was searching specifically for his writings and being so happy that I could read them and, and get to know him through his own words. And I'm like, wow, I care. Like, I'm so glad you did this. Thank you for writing about the mundane and the, and the trivial and the things that you don't think matter, but they do. And so obviously I got into the program and I still felt a connection to Rick and you don't get to decide who you get to represent in the fall. There's a committee that basically pairs you with a with a scholar, you can put in a suggestion and say like, hey, I really want this person, but there's no guarantee, which is just kind of a way to see like, I mean, all every single student's story is, is remarkable and amazing. So that's a good way to, to learn more about others too. But I was fortunate enough to be paired with Rick when I came back in the fall. But after reading that in the library that day, I knew that I had to go to Lockerbie that summer and and kind of understand not only his story better, but his fellow students' stories and, and just the people of Lockerbie in general. Yeah, you, you um, write so movingly about Rick and the experience that you had in Lockerbie in the second half of your summer experience. And the first half is such a contrast because it's this college girl going off to Europe for a summer in a fancy Brussels PR <laughs> agency and trying to get away from a relationship that hasn't been so great and lots of kind of Jane Austen references, which are mm -hmm. so fun. Um, so it's kind of a, a story of transformation to me from, you know, someone with important concerns, but very kind of typical, who am I, will I find love kind of concerns to a young woman who is coming face to face with these lives that were lost in Lockerbie and thinking about, you know, big questions. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think were some of the transformations that you did experience that summer that have had the most lasting impact? Oh, that's a great question. I honestly, when I when I left for Brussels, I had no idea what to expect. I just I like I didn't even know what agency I was going to be at or like where my apartment was. Just kind of show, showed up with a head empty and like, you know, <laughs> ready to just let whatever happens, happens. And so I think in that way, the first part of my book is a little bit more creative fiction. And I did that on purpose to make it seem like I guess kind of the headspace I was at when I arrived where I'm just didn't really know what to think or what to expect and things felt a little bit more magical and surreal and more of that fiction kind of like, you know, living in a TV show scenario. Yeah. And the second half of the book in contrast is all like all true events, real names, real stories. And I think that's because to me when I think about that summer that's kind of how it felt was that I was living in this fantasy world of, you know, being young, being abroad, no real idea of consequences or, you know, the impact of like losing something or going through hard, hard, hard times and just meeting all these wacky characters. And then I remember going to, to Scotland and being just kind of hit like, what am I doing? Is this right? Should I be going? Are they going to like, how are these people going to receive me as yeah. this stranger coming in? I don't want this to be like dark tourism, which is where you're visiting a place just to 
experience the terrible event that happened there because I, I, I didn't want residents of, of Lockerbie to feel that way about me because I wanted to get to know who they were and their individual stories. And I just suddenly felt like, you know, this is, this is real. This isn't just, um, you know, for, for little, <laughs> little yeah. fun adventure abroad, this is people's real lives and real experiences. And I, I felt like I wasn't sure how I was going to be received or what the experience would be. And in those four days I was there, they were without a doubt the four most impactful days in my entire summer. Well, tell us about those, Sarah. Yeah. Well, I, I really have to attribute this mostly to Colin Dorrance because he is the first person I met upon my arrival in Lockerbie and completely responsible for this entire experience I had. And I almost didn't meet him at all, which is the craziest part. About halfway through the summer, I emailed the uh, Remembrance Director back at Syracuse and I said, hey, I'm thinking about going to Lockerbie for a few days before I head back home. Um, This was, you know, I was planning on going to Lockerbie about end of August and I had to be back at at Syracuse like a week, within a week of me wanting to do this. So I was just- trying to figure out like time-wise what I was going to do. Originally, I was just going there to learn more about things and to understand what had happened in the town and with those with the with the residents so I could go back as a scholar and have a, a more empathetic and better view of of um what the remembrance program should be and she sent me five names of people that would be willing to meet with me. And I contacted one lady. She was like first on the list, sent her an email, and she ended up getting married the weekend that I was going to come, which was obviously <laughs> awesome. And she was really apologetic. She's like, I'm so sorry. Like, normally I would totally like show you around and everything. And I was like, oh, You're getting married. Like, please, by no means feel bad. <laughs> like, I am sorry to intrude by even making you feel that way. And I went, I revisited my list and I, I just kind of skimmed. And in her email, I believe she said, you should ask Colin Dorrance. So I went back to the list and his name was on there too. So I said, okay, let's just shoot this guy an email. No guarantee he's even going to respond. And he did like almost immediately. And he was just so welcoming and just sent me like in the first email, like all these articles um, explaining about the town's history and who he was. And I was like, okay, all right, well, I guess this is going to work. And uh, as the time approached, because we first emailed back in July, as time approached in, in August, he was like, well, let me know when your train's coming in. Like, I'll be there to greet you. I can drive you around. And I'm thinking like, Oh, either like this is the most well planned out, like friendly serial killer in the world, or (laughs) (laughs) this is the nicest person I've ever met in my life because he doesn't know anything about me other than I'm a Syracuse student, you know, coming, coming around for a few days. And I really wasn't expecting anything. I had no idea what to expect. I thought I was just going to, you know, show up in this town, um, wander around until I found someone that wanted to talk to me. And all of a sudden, I had someone waiting for me on the train platform. And that was the first time I got to experience, like, seeing someone at, like, arrivals for for the first time that entire summer traveling. And it was so weird to <laughs> kind of kind of leave a train and 
meet him and then get to meet his wonderful wife and their two kids and just feel totally welcomed in this family. And I was unprepared, but it was also just one of those moments where you instantly feel connections with people and you feel like you've known them your entire life, even though you've just met them. And it was so surreal. And I just, at that point, I was like, all right, you know what? What's Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm just going to buckle myself in for the ride. Yeah, he took me to all the different sites around town that had significance of importance to Tundergarth Church, which is the location of of where the cockpit of the plane went down in the field. That's it's a very famous photo if you search up the um the Pan Am 103 plane. The cockpit of the plane landed across from the location of this church. And a copy of On Eagle's Wings, which is the book I mentioned earlier, is actually located in it's like a small building that they they built within the church grounds that holds sort of like a memoriam for the victims. They have a copy of On Eagle's Wings there for for visitors to read and, and reflect and remember, as well as just kind of process the events. And after he took me there, he took me to a few other locations in town. Um, over the course of the, the few days, he introduced me to people that had been there. And I just got to hear these stories and, and learn more about their lives even since the attack and, and, and what impact that's had on, you know, the fact that they've continued to live in the same town. This is, they lived through the darkest moment in their town's history, and yet they're still there. They haven't left, and they're still willing to talk to strangers, which I found really remarkable. And, and it was just beginning to shape in my mind as the most impactful moment of my summer, but also a story that deserved to be told. And that's when I started to think, maybe this should be the focus of the book for my thesis project. Yeah, I tell you, you write so movingly of that time you spent in Lockerbie. I I was crying, crying, oh. crying oh, no. during. <laughs> no, it was, it was good. It was good tears because it was um, you captured so beautifully the humanity of the mm-hmm. people in Lockerbie. It just just really remarkable. It must have been a very difficult experience, but it also seemed like maybe a joyful. Is joyful the right word? Yeah, I think. What I didn't understand and what might be like the first thought for a lot of people is that this, that Lockerbie is a place that's, that's cloaked in, in this sort of like solemn loss that, that people will be very, you know, close to the idea of, of visitors coming in or just that there's a lot of grief still there. And from my experience in visiting and talking to, you know, a lot of the people that lived in the town, including Josephine Donaldson, who was a part of uh, the Lockerbie Wash women. Um, but she basically, her story was that she helped to wash the clothing of the victims from their from their suitcases before they were shipped back to their family members. And she had a really powerful story about what it was like to to go through these victims' belongings and wash their clothing, but also get to know them through through their suitcases, including two of the Syracuse University students. And just from learning about her and learning about Colin's story, you start to see that there's there's more resiliency and there's more heart and humanity 
that has existed in their lives and there has been this loss and grief. Like they've chosen to move forward with love and, and empathy for other people and to make something that is absolutely terrible and find the hope and the good within it. And that's what really struck me because it didn't feel like it had to be absolute anymore. It didn't feel like this terrorist attack had to be an absolute terrible thing. Like that was it. It was allowed to have this other part to it, which had connections and, and love and humanity coming together and helping each other. Strangers from different sides of the world doing acts of kindness for people that they would never get to meet, like Josephine washing, washing the clothes of the victims for their families. And it was just, it was without, without another thought, they would just do this for these, these people. And that's, that's what really struck me because I feel like even as a young adult in college, we're often going through our lives with blinders on, very self-focused, very self-involved, even when we don't mean to be. And I think it's very easy to get into your own internal rhetoric, assuming that when bad things happen, people will look out for themselves. And that's just not the case. And especially not in Lockerbie. It never was. And, and that's what really changed, changed my life was seeing there was more love and happiness over people coming together and doing, doing good things for each other. That's a wonderful takeaway, Sarah. The book that you wrote was just, I think, very transparent as far as your experiences, not only as the intern for the, the job that you had, but I really enjoyed reading the book because you really opened up your heart to what you were really experiencing through the internship and your travels and the whole Syracuse Remembrance Scholarship. So I appreciated that and allowing us to kind of go along in the journey with you and have those experiences alongside of you. What projects do you have, Sarah, coming up? We know you graduated <laughs> and we couldn't go see you because of the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. So what what's going on with you? I had some internships that I was working on before I ended up getting a full-time job doing account management for a company. But on the side, I have still stuck with the writing and the creative side of things. And to me, I think the most important part of lessons from better people is that it's not finished yet. At least not in my eyes. I still feel like it's only a piece of what I want it to be at. And it's a project that I'm still going to continue to write and revisit <laughs> over the oh, years. Oh, good. And Fantastic. Yeah. So I actually am in touch with an author right now. Her name is Wendy Jones. She is a best-selling author of the book Jane on the Brain, which is about Jane Austen and her her use of like relationships and basically social commentary tying into the way that we perceive relationships today. Really great book. So I've been helping develop some of her social media pages for her. And in exchange, she is giving professional editing advice to me, which is amazing and truly extraordinary because I never thought that I would get get to have someone uh, with her talent and her experience read my book at this point in my life. And so I'm in the process of editing it uh, with her right now, which is great. I'm going to be putting more of a focus on Rick in this in this new draft that I'm doing. 
Um, Because I would like to incorporate more of his writings in those journals that I mentioned earlier, just so that people can have a chance to read his words and experience his life through through his eyes, just like how I got to get to know how I had the opportunity to get to know him way back in in March of uh, 2019. So I'm hoping to incorporate those in and you know, keep keep working on lessons from better people. And I'm also still working with Mango Publishing. I had an internship with them, which ended when I got my full-time job. But on the side, I've still been working with one of the editors there to develop a, a project, which I'm excited about. What's the project, Sarah? It is, well, it's for, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say, actually. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. It, it is, it's for a pocketbook that deals with like magical magical properties in nature so very like wiccan spiritual tree focused which i'm really excited about because i think that's a, a really interesting and fun topic and there's a lot of history to trees not in the sense of like how they grow <laughs> but just their connection to humanity and like even cultures and their and their connection to trees which i think is a lot more complex and spiritual than I originally thought. And that's been really fascinating to research for that project. Well, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I can't wait to to look at that. Um, <laughs> what What's the best way for people to interface with you and to stay in touch with what you're doing, Sarah? Oh, my goodness. I have a professional author Twitter account. And I have, well, I have, I have a portfolio, which is sarahcrawfordportfolio.com. I don't post many updates on there, but if sometimes I use my author account just to promote new projects, and that is at S Crawford Tweets, and that's just where I I post most of my author stuff. There's also a link to my book on on that Twitter account, too. Super. That's tremendous. Well, Sarah, we are so happy you were able to stop by our front porch and chat with us about this really terrific work and so exciting to hear about some of the things you have coming up in the future. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, we loved having you, Sarah. <laughs> I love talking to you guys too. This is really awesome. Um, I'm excited to be yeah. a part of, of, of a, a podcast. <laughs> Great. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. See you later. Bye-bye. Sarah's just getting started on her writing adventures. I can't wait to read more of her work. Oh, I agree. I, she's just got such talent, really. And I loved her thoughts about how humanity shines through even the most terrible situations. Yeah, that's a real highlight. Stop by the front porch next time in which we will review Casting the First Stone, written by Lisa Lawmaster Hess. And our listeners can get in touch with us by going to our website at frontporchbookclub.com. All one word, frontporchbookclub.com. And people can post comments and make suggestions for books for us to discuss or questions they have for our guests that are coming up. Our episodes come out twice a month on the first and third Wednesdays of each month. If you like the show, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. See you next time, Lenny. See you next time. <laughs>